announcing an exclusive editor's podcast poll. Should I remain the host of this podcast? Email me your responses and the results will naturally be binding. In the meantime, we'll discuss Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis versus the vaccine companies on this edition of the editors. I'm Rich Lowry and I'm joined as always by the right honorable Charles C.W. Cook and the Detroit's MBD. Michael Brendan Doherty, you are, of course, listening to a Nash Review podcast. Our sponsors this episode are TheFire.org, Tommy John, and Acton Unwind. More about all of them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following us on a streaming service, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. And please, if you like what you hear here, give us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here, please forget I said Anything And before I do anything else, let's hear a little from our friends at thefire.org. Do you know only one in three Americans believe we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why FIRE is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. So MBD, we had Elon Musk posting this tweet that is either the most Elon Musk thing ever or the most Twitter thing ever, or maybe all the above uh, running a poll. He loves polls. They, they get lots of votes, drive lots of engagements on whether he will actually should actually keep running Twitter or not. And the results were running pretty uh, strongly against him. Is this a suicide note from Elon Musk or did he uh, hope the vote would go the other way or what's your, what's your read on this? It's, uh, it's kind of, it, everything's been building to this, this point, all the Twitter drama the last two months. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I think, I do think it points to the fact that he does eventually want someone else to run Twitter uh, for him while he goes back to running Tesla and SpaceX and the boring company, uh, full time. Uh, I don't think he sees this as, um, his life's calling <laughs> necessarily, but it, it has so much of his net worth tied up in it that mm -hmm. I have to think he's going to try to salvage as much value from it as he can. Um, so it, it was a very strange thing to tweet. I mean, maybe he already has, an exit plan figured out. Um, but it's obvious that one of his plans for making Twitter a valuable company again was for himself to become Twitter's main character in a way that mm -hmm. like Donald Trump. Yeah. There's been no, yeah, there's been no substitute for Trump until now. Right. Right. Donald Trump used to be the main character on Twitter. Now, now it is Elon himself. And, um, you know, he has the media world addicted to every one of these tweets and updates and every one of his disciplinary moves or policy changes that he's experimenting with. Um, and yeah, I mean, people are, are viewing it as a live, uh, car accident almost. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's also, it, it has a similarity with, with Trump in that the people who are most appalled by Trump and couldn't stand him also just could not get enough. So you have all these progressives on Twitter. Oh, I really should quit. You know, I'm investigating all these other options, but, but look at this latest thing that Elon Musk said or did. So Charlie, what, what do you make of, uh, 
that that tweet from Musk, and then there are these suspensions. I guess they began on Friday. We're recording a little early this week on on Monday, where uh, some some kid had an account tracking Musk's private plane. Apparently, with not you know a lot of precision, it's not like you would know exactly where it is at at any given minute. But you you'd know he left this airport and was going to some other airport, and it's part of the terms of service, I think added just recently, you can't track people's locations. So this, this account was suspended, then accounts that it shared it were suspended. And then some other accounts were suspended too, for, for reasons that were not entirely clear. But what do you make of, of the Musk poll and then these suspensions? Well, I think Musk's behavior in the last 72 hours has been extremely erratic. He has unfortunately exhibited the caprice that he promised to remove from Twitter's daily operations. And as such, he's weakened his claim to be Twitter's savior, asking whether or not he should step down and leaving it to the results of an online poll <laughs> is a strange thing to do. <laughs> All of his polls, for that matter, have been strange. If you believe in free speech, as he says he does, then polls are the last thing that should ever matter. Right. Even he, if they're scientifically accurate. He ran a poll about whether Trump should come back and wh- whether h- how long these accounts should be suspended for. Presumably, that's not how a free speech, happy Twitter would be run. We wouldn't say, mm-hmm. well, should this person be allowed to speak or not? Vox Populi, Vox Dei. We would assume that that person should be allowed to speak unless they had broken the rules. And the rules in this case seem increasingly opaque. I am nevertheless. Wow, that, that was a long pause. It almost had me, Charlie. I almost jumped in. I'm nevertheless finding it difficult to muster much sympathy for the people who have been affected by this. That does not mean that I have abandoned in any way my commitment to free speech or to neutral principle. But it means that in order to stand up for it, I have to side with myself and not with them. I saw somebody on Twitter, of course, criticizing... uh, Sean Trendy, real clear politics, but not siding properly in this person's view with the suspended journalists. But I think this is a ridiculous way of looking at it. Insofar as I am likely to complain about the biased or arbitrary moderation policies at Twitter, I'm not siding with Taylor Lorenz or Aaron Rupar. I'm siding with my own convictions because those people do not share them. It's fine for me to say Elon Musk isn't living up to his promise. It's fine for Phil Klein to say Elon Musk has revealed himself to be something of a hypocrite on free speech. It's fine for anyone who has wanted a neutral and open social media environment to say you know we're not getting it it's not fine for the people who are suspended almost to a man to say so because they never wanted that in the first place 
They wanted an active and heavy ban hammer to descend across Twitter constantly to create a drumbeat of suspensions in the name of safety. They just never thought that the definition of safety might be altered so that it affected them. So while I do not like what has happened in the last 72 hours, and while I wouldn't endorse it, and while I would like to see it reversed, I find it rich in the extreme to hear all of this talk about neutrality and free speech and openness and fairness from people who would, if they could, suspend anyone who even looked at them askew. Mm-hmm. So MBD, there's there's endless Twitter news. So another Twitter uh, thread of Twitter news, no pun intended, comes from Matt Taibbi. Yet another installment in the so-called Twitter files, this time having to do with the level and intensity of FBI contacts with Twitter. And it's just just very strange to have um, a, a law enforcement agency monitoring what's on a social media platform and wanting to have discussions about it. I mean, you can understand if, if what we're talking about, you know, is beheading videos or ISIS propaganda, but it wasn't anything remotely at that level. Right. I mean, to find out that there are 80 agents at the FBI dedicated to reading Twitter for a substantial part of their duties. They, they've all, you know, presumably come, become horrible persons. Their, their attention span is shot. They, uh, uh, yeah, no, they, but they, it's they just, just sort of with snark, snarky memos to one another now. Well, you know, like the far right used to traffic in these like kind of jokes that like all of these white supremacist groups were just like seven feds and one right. guy <laughs> they've like tricked and <laughs> into being an extremist. And, I don't know. There's something to it when you look at the amount of attention that was paid to Twitter from the FBI, both as a matter of 80 agents uh, constantly, you know, bombarding various executives with requests about, you know, take action on these accounts or those, but also um, so many agents then leaving the employee of the FBI and then working for Twitter itself. Um, and, and there's even, uh, actually today, Michael Schellenberger has done another, uh, you know, part seven of the Twitter files focusing on the FBI and, you know, showing that the FBI basically did a kind of dress rehearsal of a Hunter Biden, uh, disinfo story to kind of prime Twitter before the Hunter Biden story broke Mm. in the post. Um, like, and I read all this and I have to say, it reminds me quite a bit of what I'm reading in Philip Short's biography of Vladimir Putin and some of his time in the KGB. I mean, this is an intelligence agency that's taking a totally inordinate, uh, amount of interest in the free speech of Americans and in what they're saying to each other. And how it should be monitored. I mean, they're, they're literally giving instructions on accounts that have less than a, two dozen followers. Um, and uh, it raises questions about free speech. Um, once the FBI is directing the censorship in some way, 
uh, and it it um, it, but more seriously, it really raises questions about the FBI's resource management. I mean, this is just mm-hmm. not a not a source of serious threats. And this latest set of Twitter files says that the FBI was constantly asking Twitter executives for evidence of Russian foul play and disinformation that just didn't exist on the site. Yeah. Now imagine like, signing up for the FBI. You think you're going to be the next Elliot Ness and, and what they say. It's like, just open Twitter and watch it all day long. Well, I, I mean, if you're collecting over 200 grand a year for a salary, I mean, maybe that's a pretty sweet gig. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. checking at nine and checking out at five every mm-hmm. single day, just reading tweets in between long lunch breaks. I mean, I, So how I, disturbed I, by this are you, Charlie? I find this aspect of the story by far and away the most alarming because it involves the government, the same government Mm -hmm. that regulates in other areas and must regulate in other areas, taxes, compliance, these companies, pressuring them, often at the behest of an FBI that is out of control and that has become an intelligence service. I think that we need radical transparency rules in this area at the very least. And even better than that would be a blanket prohibition on the FBI contacting social media companies to request or suggest changes without a warrant. There are some circumstances I can imagine in which a federal agency might need to talk to a conduit for and of information. Perhaps if it was demonstrated that there uh, was a a plot that involved Twitter or Facebook, or that Twitter and Facebook were being used to plan, but beyond those extreme examples... Uh, at the very least, I want to know what the federal government is saying to these companies. And at most, I would like them to be prohibited from communicating with them about their content at all. So, MBDX, a question to you. When we look back, a little, you know, not quite in the fullness of time, you know, 10 years from now, but sometime next year, we're, we're close to the end of the year now, we'll, we'll kind of all wonder what was going on this two-month period in our national uh, political debate, national life, that so much attention was paid to Elon Musk and Twitter. And we'll we'll look back and and think it was weird and it was kind of a waste of time. Yes or no? Um, I I, I don't predict I'll look back at it that way. I mean, I think this is very much a contest of strength between an owner and the managerial and the progressive managerial class. And Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the outcome of such a battle. And I'm interested. I've been interested for a long time in the question of whether all organizations uh, that are significant in the United States have uh, an exception to their institutional rules, which is that you can always follow and obey a progressive political imperative above all internal company rules Mm -hmm. and against company interests if you wish to do so and like a like a couple additional axioms have been 
piled on top the the O'Sullivan law that every organization that's not explicitly conservative becomes progressive right. over time. So I, I'm cur- I'm curious Corollary, to see corollaries, I should say. I, I'm 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 desperately interested in this, and I think um, and it's I, a big test case. I, I think it's a huge test case. So mm-hmm. I, I I don't. Maybe maybe we'll look back and just think social media was ridiculous. I mean, I may hope that's the case, but um, I think this is kind of a big deal. Charlie? I think that it's a big deal within social media, which is less of a big deal than we think it is. But for reasons I've outlined before, both the general direction of Silicon Valley and the fact that whatever his flaws and their many and his erratic behavior, which is increasing... Elon Musk is trying to create the only neutral, or maybe even right-leaning, and I want to avoid the latter because I want a neutral platform, social media site in the United States. And that is interesting. That's going to have a knock-on effect. So what happens to that effort is going to matter, and I think we will look back at whatever did happen when we know and it will tell us something pretty interesting uh, about the future of the internet and Mm -hmm. its platforms yes i take both of your points on this i'm still gonna tip yes because i I do think there's obviously a fever about this that'll be a little bit difficult to understand with the passage of time but it it's important for the reasons you both outline has obviously become a big proxy matter in the culture war, and uh, in that regard, I'm fully with with Musk over his enemies. With that, let's hear from our second sponsor this episode, Tommy John Underwear. Happy New Rear! Now's the perfect time to grab some brand new comfy underwear, loungewear, and pajamas at Tommy John's end of year sale. Save up to 70%. When you start the year in Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Tommy John Underwear, loungewear, and pajamas have dozens of comfort innovations like luxuriously soft, tri-blend, and micro-modal fabrics with four-way stretch and there's no lint balls or fuzz with over 18 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews people love their tommy johns that's why tommy john doesn't have customers they have fanatics and all tommy john underwear is covered by their no wedgie guarantee this is tommy john's final sale of the year and like 2022 it's ending soon shop tommy john's end of year sale right now for up to 70 percent off at tommyjohn.com slash editors save up to 70 that's 77 zero percent off for a limited time at tommyjohn.com slash editors tommyjohn.com slash editors see the site for details please check it out so charlie last week we didn't get to this on either of our episodes last week Week, but Ron DeSantis created uh, something of a, a splash. He announced an uh, investigation of perhaps uh, abuses by uh, vaccine uh, companies, kind of profiteering on on false pretenses, and th- this created a fuss. You had various DeSantis critics saying, "See, told you so." He is anti-vax. Uh, you had people. Tusking, tisking that uh, look, you know, vaccine resistance is growing. The pandemic is still with us. You still have people dying. The vaccine saved millions of lives. So even if if nothing is going to 
outcome of this and it's just posturing, it's going to, at the margins, increase that resistance and, and therefore is uh, irresponsible and bad for public health. What do you make of it? Well, I have some nuanced views on this, I think. My view has been and remains that I am strongly pro-vaccine and strongly anti-vaccine mandate. And as such, I do not share the definition of anti-vax that many people have offered up because Mm -hmm. it has pretended that to be anti-mandate is to be anti-vaccine, much as to pretend to be... Uh, much as the same people pretend that to be against contraception mandates is to be against contraception, for example. I just don't think that's true. So uh, thus far, I have been somewhat skeptical toward the idea that DeSantis's vaccine record um, has been uh, marred by his opposition to, to mandates. I do think this one is a little different. Um, first off, I think that, I I think that the tool that he's using is the wrong one. So I can understand those people who say, look, there was this overwhelming social and in many cases, political and legal pressure to get vaccinated. We had in effect a mass panic. We had mob rule. Maybe there were some issues here that got overlooked. Maybe there's something to the idea that the vaccine isn't perfect, that it didn't do what it said it would do, that it even caused problems. Don't you want to know? And my answer to that is yes, I do. In fact, I'm sympathetic to people who are made nervous by overwhelming cultural or political pressure. And that's one reason that I'm opposed to vaccine mandates because I think it is wrong to tell people, especially when we're talking about experimental vaccines, which this was, that they have to put uh, certain medicines into their bodies against their will. But we're not talking here about an investigation. We've gone straight to a grand jury convened by the Florida Supreme Court. At least that's the idea. And that implies a certain level of wrongdoing that I don't think at this point is warranted or substantiated. I think if DeSantis really wanted to be on solid ground here, he should have said, look, no one else is going to look into this. I am. And he could have used the state to investigate if there was any wrongdoing here, if there were any uh, missteps in the promises or misleading um, marketing, and then you move to (laughs) impanel a grand jury. It just seems to me that he's jumped one step ahead. And I think there is something to the idea that he has done this in order to get to the right of Donald Trump because he wants to run Mm -hmm. for president. So this does make me uh, uncomfortable. So so a little queasy. Yeah, although a a lot less uncomfortable than the people who had decided when he was against mandates that he was anti-vax, which I think was nonsense. So uh, to to conclude, this is the first thing that he has done that has made me crazy because the rest of them, I thought, the rest of it I thought was fine. Mm -hmm. So uh, MBD, is there, uh, how much of an anti-vax caucus is there within the Republican party. I mean, there's, there's definitely 
opposition to mandates. I think the anti-mandate position is is looking good in retrospect. I mean, the idea, and, and we were fed this repeatedly and like for, for a very long time, um, that if you weren't vaccinated, um, you, you were somehow a threat to the vaccinated, right? So, so the idea one was that it was going to stop everyone from getting the virus. But somehow, if you're unvaccinated and got the virus, you're going to give it to all the vaccinated people who are protected from getting it, supposedly. Um, the true benefit of the vaccine is just to protect it at, at a certain significant level from serious illness. And that was a that was a very good thing, but it's not as though um, the unvaccinated the vaccinated were unvaccinated were, were threat to themselves more than than any, anyone else. And just the idea, uh, you know, that we're going to have a, a vaccine mandate in the military, mostly young, healthy people, it, just, it, it never it never made any sense. But um, h- how much is there moving beyond that? Is there just outright anti-vaccine? sentiment, suspicion about the vaccine, paranoia about the vaccine, opposition to the vaccine as such, um, such that DeSantis feels that's a constituency. Um, I believe there is uh, a constituency for this. I believe it has moved. I believe it's, it's possibly could be even one of the biggest constituencies that has moved from the Democratic Party, leaning Democratic Party to the Republican Party mm-hmm. in the last five or six years. Um, it's it's very difficult to untangle a pure anti-vax sentiment, right? Like I'm saying, I'm suspicious of all vaccines or the COVID vaccines from the mandates because mm-hmm. they were tied together. Um, you know, and many people, um, you know, the the it was the mandates themselves and remember at the very beginning of the pandemic figures like dr fauci and others said stuff like there there won't be mandates and there shouldn't be mm-hmm. any vaccine mandates of course um and then they changed their tune and i think a lot of people found um I, so i think it's impossible to disentangle the anti-mandate versus anti-vaccine thing, because they drove each other, which is mm-hmm. that people who uh, suddenly disliked this idea that, oh, if I have to tell my employer I got the COVID vaccine um, or I could lose my job, their uh, resistance to this, this kind of revision of the social contract as they understood it could take the form of saying, well, and I don't believe the vaccine helps very much anyway. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like, as you said, there was uh, a position and even Rochelle Walensky at CDC has admitted this. There was a, a way in which the white house and the CDC oversold the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And the whole mandate was premised on the idea that uh, you would be protecting others by uh, taking the vaccine. And you could only make that case in the most attenuated way. Um, and especially given how quickly the vaccines um, lost their protective value against Omicron and other variants. And so uh, I think this is pretty significant. I think, um, you know, there are significant voices on the right now that are um, much more open to broader vaccine hesitancy or skepticism Um you know, like our friend Megan Kelly has Robert Kennedy on her, her mm-hmm. podcast from time to time to talk about this issue. 
um, ever since she was kind of radicalized. I know, I know lots of other friends who were similarly radicalized. So um, I think this is smart politics. There, there are some legitimate concerns about uh, um, young men in the vaccine. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and there are real questions about how, uh, the level of certainty people needed to recommend it for young people generally, given how mild COVID mm-hmm. was in right. anyone under, <laughs> under 40. Yeah. Um, so th- there's a lot of questions still to be asked. I think it's smart politics by, um, DeSantis. And I think it is also, um, but, but there is a way of looking at, at, at DeSantis in this way that is uh, cynical, of course, too, right? I mean, you've seen, you know, parts of his Stop Woke Act have already been kind of obliterated by the courts. Parts of the Disney um, special district threat have kind of evaporated. Mm-hmm. And there's there's an element to DeSantis where some of the, the fights he's picked, he d- he doesn't end up carrying them all the way through but he gets all of the reputation for having picked the fight. So, so to general. be clear though, like when, when critics of DeSantis say he is pandering to anti-vax sentiment, you're yes. And that's shrewd politics. Yeah. yeah I think, I think he is partly pandering to it. And, um, and I, I just don't think it's, I don't think there's any way not to pander to it. If you're going to be strongly anti-mandate. Uh, and again, I think there is, there, there is, there's been a collapse of faith in public health authority mm-hmm. during the pandemic, and the vaccine is not. The vaccines were not spared. Yeah, this collapse of trust. So it Asa, wasn't like Asa, Asa Hutchison, who's thinking, you know, I think is going to run governor of Arkansas, was on Meet the Press yesterday, and I, I'm pro vaccine, and uh, you know, even though they were oversold, they obviously had enormous uh, health health benefits. But Hutchison just has not learned. You know, the, the way if you really have any hope of getting traction and, and with Republican primary voters, you can't push back against DeSantis uh, on this and just saying, oh, we should follow the science. <laughs> you know, that 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 sentiment and that way of expressing it have been discredited over the course of the last two years or so. Charlie, feel free to, to hop in on any of that if you want. Otherwise, I'll get you on the Trump trading cards. This was uh, um, billed as a major announcement, so major that I, I'm pretty sure it was in all caps and the Truth Social post uh, previewing it. Everyone was like, what, what has he got? You know, he's not, something to change the momentum. He must, must realize he needs something to change the momentum. Maybe he's doing something really wacky like uh, pre-announcing Kerry Lake as his running mate should he win the nomination again. And nope, it turns out to be Trump trading cards uh trump as a superhero with uh, rays coming out of his his eyes and things of that nature kind of vague uh, marvel dc comic type uh images that uh, were not uh, the most beautiful artwork ever they looked basically as if they had been photoshopped a lot of people said wow this really looks how it looks shows how trump is totally lost a step he's he's really going off the the deep end but this 
this is uh, something Trump could have done literally like any time over the last 40 years of his career. He, he did very often stuff like this. And for me, it just goes to he never really became president of the United States. I mean, he had the office, he had the powers, but he never let it mold him in any way. And if that didn't happen, there's no way he's going to be molded by the post-presidency. So it's an embarrassment that you have a former president of the United States doing this sort of thing. But he's going to do it anyway because he made a couple bucks over, off of it and um, – these things actually did sell out. Well, I bought all of them. <laughs> I can't now believe this is Now that Bitcoin's crash, this is all we got to, to use as currency. It would have been a smart purchase. I'll give him this. <laughs> I'll give him this. He still surprises us after all these years. He said he had this big announcement to make, and everyone said he's coming back to Twitter. He's picked a running mate. Nope. He was selling cards. With his face on them. So if I if I could trade you an Aaron Judd rookie card for for all your Trump cards, would you take it? No, no, no. I, I'm <laughs> a, a huge Trump fan, and these are going to only increase in value over time, like all NFTs do. Look, he's not serious. What's he done since he announced? Had dinner with Nick Fuentes. Told more lies about the election of 2020, and put out a line of Donald Trump action figure cards. What has happened in the rest of politics? Actual work, legislating. Big difference. I think people are going to notice it. I actually like to go back, given that you invited me to, yeah. and just finish uh -huh. on the DeSantis <laughs> question. I think one of the mistakes that left-leaning critics of DeSantis on this are missing is that this is not happening in a vacuum and so while it makes me uncomfortable and while i would go so far as to say i don't like it and while it's not the first time desantis has done something i don't like i was strongly against his move against disney i was strongly against the social media bill that the florida legislature passed and that he enthusiastically signed the question is, as opposed to what? And it's particularly as opposed to what on the matter of COVID. I think there is an expectation on the left, because Donald Trump has been so egregious at times, that if a Republican candidate in the future does anything that people on the right dislike, that they will immediately disown that person or say that they're unelectable. That's not true. It's true for me that if a candidate tries to stage a coup or redefine the 12th Amendment or rewrite the Electoral Contact or whatever you will, if a candidate is still two years later going on about the last election, pretending he won, talking about suspending the Constitution, that he is unelectable, that he's disqualified himself from public office. But disagreeing with a candidate for public office is not disqualifying. And I think one still has to look at Ron DeSantis's COVID performance as a whole. So I don't like this. I think this is nodding at vaccine skeptics. I think this has gone far beyond opposing mandates, which I do. I think this is one step ahead of where he should be, should be investigating move to a grand jury. Is this worse than locking people's kids down for two years? Is it worse than mask mandates and vaccine mandates and travel restrictions? Is it worse than the Biden administration endlessly dragging its feet for no reason so that I couldn't see my family. They couldn't come here. No, of course it's not. 
So I would just counterbalance what I said by putting it into context that it matters and it's bad. But we have a whole range of things to examine here. And I think the idea that this is going to destroy DeSantis in the eyes of people who might not like this is just wrong. It's not a threshold question. It's, if anything, a move that would diminish my Ron DeSantis score and the way Heritage does those scores. You know, mm-hmm. the Charles Cook Ron DeSantis score by two or three points. But I think the way that the coverage has proceeded on the left has been bizarre. It's almost finger pointing. Aha, aha, you see? You see what? A politician saying something I don't like? I say that every day. MBD exit question to you. DeSantis being to the right of Trump on COVID response issues and criticism of Anthony Fauci will be a telling issue in the 2024 nomination battle, assuming Ron DeSantis runs. Yes or no? Yes, it will. Uh, but it won't be as decisive as DeSantis's age and his apparent competence and trustworthiness compared to Trump. Can you reset the question? Yeah. So how much will it, ma- will it matter? Um, will it hurt Trump that DeSantis to, is to the right of him on some of this stuff now and will be, be able to you know, say you're the guy employed and listened to Fauci and stood with him there for, for months when, when I never bought this stuff? I think it's going to matter. Uh, As I say, I don't like this. I think from an entirely amoral point of view, it is good politics because it hits Trump hard in an area in which he's vulnerable. It makes it more difficult for Trump to say, I'm the one who will fight, who will stand up. I have the best instincts. Um, I I think it's going to matter, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it matters, but I'm with MBD. I, you know, I don't think it'll matter most, um, but but it will matter, and it'll be really hard. It's going to be really awkward for Trump to uh, respond or find find a way to handle on this this set of issues. So, with that, let's pause and hear from our third sponsor this episode. There's news and information constantly coming at us from all sides. With this barrage of information, it's difficult to stay up to speed with everything that's happening in the world. Who can you trust to explain what's going on from a perspective that values both faith and freedom? That's where Acton Unwind comes in. Just as there's no other organization that brings you a perspective that values faith, liberty, and free enterprise like the Acton Institute, there's no other podcast that tackles the issues of the day in quite the same way as Acton Unwind. Every Monday, you'll hear from host Eric Cohen and experts from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty as they take you through the news of the week in a roundtable conversation, breaking down the issues and the stories that matter and demonstrating that compatibility of faith, liberty, and free economic activity in a way that's clear, concise, and entertaining. Whether it's about politics, religion, or culture, you'll get Acton's unique outlook on the world, connecting good intentions with sound economics as it promotes a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. To subscribe to Acton Unwind, visit acton.org slash nr, or just search Acton Unwind on your favorite podcast app. Acton Unwind, an ongoing conversation on a free and virtuous society. That's acton.org slash NR to subscribe to the Acton Unwind podcast. So MBD, let's hit a few other things before we go. You've been thinking about your dog. Yeah, well, for the past couple of weeks, basically since Thanksgiving, my family's 
been hit with one cold or virus or stomach bug after another. And uh, throughout it all, our, our dog who I've written about on, uh, on uh, NRO, our pandemic dog, Dolly, Carrie Blue Terrier, has been faithfully guarding the sickest member of the family at any one moment, mm. um, whether in, in, uh, and you can always, t- and you can tell it's, it's sincere because it's never just, we never put the sickest person in the same spot, you know? So like it might be in my daughter's bed, if my daughter's sick or the, the bed for the parents, if one of us is down for the count or on the living room couch and the dog is always faithfully there, uh, keeping guard and watching over. And it's just, it is one of the sweetest things uh, going and really warms up the house. That's nice. You should write a column about that. People love, love dog content. <laughs> so Charlie Cook, speaking of former dogs who are now rising to the top, the AFC South, unfortunately, the Jacksonville Jaguars edged out on a lucky interception in overtime, <sighs> the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, you don't score 40 <laughs> points against the Dallas Cowboys by mistake. Second week in a row. Great comeback against the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they were down 17 points toward the end of the third quarter, and they did it. Trevor Lawrence had another fantastic game. Threw four touchdowns, 300-plus yards. Defense stepped up, and now they have a real shot at the AFC South. It looks as if whatever happens, absent a remarkable rally by your Titans and a remarkable collapse by the Jaguars, it's going to come down to the final game of the season, which is the the Titans in Jacksonville. So who would have thought? As as we were talking offline, uh, I would would favor Jacksonville to win the division now because it's going to come down to the final game and Titans have not been looking good and they're going to be on the road. So <clears throat> I had cause to remember just how wonderful New York diners are. Uh, there, there's a real nice one uh, down the block from the, the NR office. And <clears throat> I hadn't eaten dinner when we had the NR uh, office uh, Christmas party. So I, I left a relatively early and just went and sat alone, you know, in this bright, warm diner where people are just fantastic and had a, a nice hearty meal. And there's just, 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 there's nothing as, uh, as comforting and cozy as a good New York diner. So it's that time in our podcast for our editor's picks. MBD, what's your pick? Well, there's so many good things in the December 30th issue, uh, including a big piece by Mary Abistat. But I wanted to pick Ian Tuttle's piece on T.S. Eliot's afterlife and the role that his devoted wife played in keeping his literary legacy alive and near the top of centuries great works. And um, I love everything Ian Ian does for Mm -hmm. us when we get him. Uh, But on the centennial of the wasteland, this was an important piece to get in before the end of the year. So I'm glad we did. We love Ian, a former panelist on this very podcast known as the redoubtable Ian Tuttle. Charlie, what's your pick? I just see some more clickbait from Ian Tuttle. Once again, <laughs> that guy has no shame. <laughs> I like Jim Garrity's post, all Elon Musk, all the time. I think Michael already said this. Elon Musk is Trump now. At least he's Trump on Twitter. 
He's a guy who's talked about all day, his every move is scrutinized, it makes waves. The moment you log in, it's Musk, 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 Musk. I'm not wild about that, uh, but whatever I am about it, it's true, and Jim notes it well. So I'm also picking a Jim Garrity post. Don't ask ask Stacey Abrams to handle your money about this Axios report today or yesterday on how Stacey Abrams blew through more than $100 million in her failed gubernatorial campaign that wasn't even close. They tried to say when they were reducing their TV ad spend at the end, oh, it's just because we, we have so many other inventive ways to, to reach people. No, they're, they're running out of money. They were raising it at a presidential pace early on, then it slacked off and they, they managed to blow through all this. Now, what, I mean, what else are you supposed to do except spend it all? Uh, but um, it'll be interesting to see the, the actual reports on where some of this money was, was going because there's always been suggestions of Stacey Abrams at least feathering the nests of her friends. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a National View podcast. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or countless game without the express written permission of National View Magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Shuddy, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, MBD. Thanks to the fire, Tommy John, and Acton Unwind. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. We'll see you next time.